Friday music show here at 12.33 ABC Newcastle. Mark Tinson joining me in the studio. That's a dang fine song, that one, isn't it? It, it sure is. And uh, I've got to say, the Normie Row version that we heard up the front is probably the best version of all of them, even better than the uh, Johnny Kidd and the Pirates, which was the original hit in England. And that one, Elan Jewell from uh, a couple of years ago, just showing yeah. that girls can do that one too. Well, they can, but the guitar player was a bit limp on that. He didn't oh. have that... <laughs> Quivers down nah, the back. Nah. <laughs> you are uh, such no, a you, tough you, critic. You listen to Billy Billings play it, and it's like, what? You know? Anyway. Anyway. What yeah. a good song that what is. What a good song. And you know, mm-hmm. uh, Normie Rowe, his first album, which was called uh, It Ain't Necessarily So, but it is Normie Rowe, was the first vinyl rock and roll album that came into our house. Was it really? Courtesy of my elder brother, Lee. Yeah. And it was like... Don't tell Dad. Oh, don't, okay. Because it's rock and roll. It. Don't let him see it. The well, it's a, an absolute waste of money for a start. We'd snuck a couple of Beatles singles in before that. Right. And we even had The Throb in oh, there. Oh, stop well. it. Yeah. But that was the first album we had. And yeah. Normie Rowe and the Playboys was the first uh, uh, touring act that I went and saw in concert. Again, courtesy of me, courtesy of my older brother Lee, hmm. who I think had to do a deal with my mum before he was allowed to go to it as well. Maitland Town Hall, they were the days. I interviewed Normie Rowe oh, for the first time tw- yeah. years 20, ago. <laughs> 20 <laughs> yeah, years ago. Quite a while ago. Yes. And um, 
It was it was very interesting because at that wee young early stage of twenty something years ago of my career, you would have been um, only just out of school. Well, only just out of school, yes, yeah. pretty much. But also, I knew so little about him. Of course, there are the songs that were playing in my house on the radio when I was a kid. Yep. Uh, but then being able to sit down and have a chat with him about his career, his life, about being a Nasho and so on, yep. really interesting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he said to me that he enjoyed speaking to me too. He might have just been making that up. We'll find out soon. Well, we'll remind him of it. Mm. Yeah? He'll go, yes, I remember meeting <laughs> you in... Ho-. No, he won't. And the, and the reason we're talking to Normie Rowe today is because he's actually in town tonight. What's he doing? He's, he's playing with the original Playboys, except for the uh, keyboard player who unfortunately passed away uh, back in the 70s, I think. So it's close to the original band, so I would imagine they're just going to play all of that early stuff. Which the original is what, Playboys? Yeah, which is what I really dig. They're threatened to use their original equipment <gasps> as well. See, that's cool that even that they've hung on to it yeah. is really cool. Well, you know, the gu- guitar player in the... Atlanta. They're going to use their original sound gear? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, who knows if it still works. But, the, you know, the guitar player in the Atlantics, um, Jim, still plays the original Stratocaster that he used to use on the early uh, t- uh, Atlantics recordings. So there you go. So uh, let's hope that we'll hear some of that twangy, surfing, almost guitar. Is there any reason not to? Not to go tonight. Well, there's that. Of course, there's no reason to not go tonight. But no, 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 to to not use a Stratocaster that you were using 40 years ago. No, no. In fact, they're very prized. The only reason you wouldn't use it is because you're afraid it was going to get stolen. Uh Yeah. Which is why I don't drag mine out very often. Don't anybody pinch the Strat, okay? No, especially especially not the old one. Now, is the. I'll tell you later on. We, we should actually acknowledge that the Playboys were an entity unto themselves before Normie Rowe uh, became their lead singer. So Normie was uh, sort of working around Melbourne as a youngster with different bands backing him up. And eventually he ended up working with the Playboys and uh, they went on to become, you know, the biggest thing since sliced bread. Because Normie's Australia. first single was a Gershwin thing, wasn't it? Uh, well, was it? Let's, let's do the journey. Was it? Let's do, yeah, it was. Was it? But we're not going it to was? do that. We're not going to do that first. We're going to play a Playboy's song, and this is their take on the theme from Doctor No. Because they were an instrumental band.
Friday music show here at 12.33 ABC Newcastle. Hear that guitar. <laughs> the Playboys, pre-Normie Row, yeah, with the theme from Dr. No. That sounds like we've got... Well, we might have. We might have. Hello, studio calling Normie, studio calling Nor- <laughs> Normie. Normie calling studio, over. <laughs> I read you five by five. Hello. <laughs> Uh, Normie, we what? just we just played uh, a, a song from the Playboys before you were with the band. Doctor No, Doctor No, and it was said that they were probably the best band in the country, and you ended up fronting them. <laughs> I think they yes. Well, um, uh, the, the drummer calls me his lead singer. <laughs> he's my <Yes>. lead singer. <laughs> oh, Rowie, he's my lead singer. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh dear. But they, you know, they, they, they were and still are just a terrific band, you know. Uh, and their the lean was, uh, it was in the days of you know the shadows and uh, uh, all those sort of um, you know the. the who was it? Telsa, the Hurricanes and Tony and the Hurricanes, all those sort of people, the Tornadoes. Um, and, and they had their own bent on things. Uh, it was, uh, there was a lot of sounds coming out of the, the instruments that they were, uh, and the equipment they were using, um, that hadn't been really put together uh, previously. So that was, that was always a, a great start for invention. Yeah, no. I, I was just noticing when I when I uh, put the show together that uh, Phil Blackmore, who was who's sadly not with the band anymore, but uh, his his take on the organ, and I suspect it was a Farfisa or a Vox. Well, yeah. he started off with it. Actually, started off with a Wurlitzer. All right. And and then then the Farfisa because it had two keyboards. Yeah. And then a Vox Continental, and and eventually uh, we went on for Hammond. Oh, that's the way. You nerds, but, listen to you. But I was just listening and. <laughs> What what he brought to the recordings was almost like a, a John Lord style. It was a very particular uh, sound that he had, and, and quite distorted at times as well. Yeah, um, both the, both Phil and Billy used uh, the uh, clamped echolette, which was a tape echo uh, forerunner of many of the others that came along later on. And and um, Normie, they... Carol's eyes are glazing over. <laughs> she is so girly. Uh, look now, hang on. I'd be interested in finding out about more more about a Hammond B three organ because having watched one of those in action last year with Leonard Cohen, I was mesmerised by the way the little speaker unit on the top. They, they the go, Leslie, Leslie cabinet. Yeah, they go oh, little, 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 around. That that was fantastic. And yeah. once the sun hit it, that was really cool. Normie Rowe, I actually first spoke <laughs> to you when I was not much more than a. I'm going to have to interrupt you here. What? I, I think Leonard Cohen may very well have had little diamantes put on his little speaker horns as they revolve. No, no way would Leonard. No, Ca- Le- no, no allow, way. He wouldn't allow it. He would not do that. You can't have that in church. Oh, I don't know. No, that's ne- no. Normie, I first spoke to you 20-something, many, <clears throat> quite a lot of years ago as a, a young lady broadcaster working in Hobart with a couple of clowns by the name of Cook and Moore. And, oh, yes. Yeah. and oh, you, goodness me. I know. That's a long time ago, isn't it? 
Absolutely. I don't yeah. think either of us were grey then. But you said to me uh, way back then that the only reason you took off for a career in music uh, was because you were told to get your hair cut by your employer at the time. Well, yeah, the, 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 turn, the, the turn to music um, as a career rather than as a pastime uh, was, was precipitated by uh, the PMG, which is, is today, of course, Telstra. Uh, who made it an edict that if you had long hair, you couldn't be a technician, which I didn't quite understand the correlation. But uh, Well, obviously uh, your hair would get in your eyes. You wouldn't be able to see the colours of the wires. And you'd the... look like a disrespectable hippie. Yeah. Well, there's that. That would be... And the head of the engineering uh, department suffered from a very bad case of alopecia. Ah. Uh, so there was a bit of envy. That is, do you? Envy uh. going on. Well, Tina, oh, we're educated here, mate. <laughs> so, so, look, when you when you started recording, uh, you did a fabulous version of of uh, "Shaking All Over," and that was a pretty pretty much a no brainer. But um, one of the, I think, your first single, "It Ain't Necessarily So," yes, written by the Gershwins. Well, that's right, um, and uh, it was found by Stan, the man Rofe, who was who was one of my wonderful uh, mentors, a great mentor of mine. And Stan was, uh, was a very, very popular DJ in Melbourne at the time. Uh, and, and he saw me at a concert uh, for, for my music school and uh, said, would you like to come into the studio? And, and he really, he steered me around uh, how to look for a good song and uh, he found it ain't necessarily so. And then, of course, married together with Patrick Alton, who was uh, even then generating the wall of sound that hadn't really been discovered by uh, Phil Spector yet. Mm. Um, and so you get that, that song that seems... Well, the recording itself, uh, I'm not talking about my performance so much, as the recording itself of it ain't necessarily so when you listen to it, it has this this uh, timeless sort of thing that some of the other wonderful Australian records uh, uh, seem to purport. You know, there's uh, things like uh, uh, Eagle Rock, which is, you know, it's a unique sound and and uh, it ain't necessarily so. It tended to be one of those records. Well, let's hear it then. It ain't necessarily so. It ain't necessarily so. The things that you're liable to read in the Bible ain't necessarily so. In a stream Jonah he lived in a whale Jonah he lived in a whale He made his home in that fish's abdomen Jonah he lived in a whale Say, let's 
preacher, liable to teach her, ain't necessarily so. Pretty cool, isn't it? That's 1965, Mark Tinson. That's before I was born. <laughs> uh, I was in high school. Uh, you were going to get back at us with that one. Yes. Our special guest this week is Normie Rowe, who's actually attempting to make it to the studio before three o'clock. Whether or not that happens, we don't know, but we've got you anyway, Normie. Yeah. Just... Well, we've decided to pull over at Wyong. That's probably uh, a good idea, I think. So we could get a good... Um... Uh, a, a good telephone reception for you. Well done. Now, I uh, just want to ask you about Pat Alton. Um, now, that that's obviously a mono recording. Mm-hmm. Did, did you actually sing with the band when they performed that, or was, were they still with? Had they started multi-tracking at that time? No, they were. They were actually recorded on two single track, full full quarter inch. Uh, uh, when I say full quarter inch, the, the, the quarter-inch tape was not divided up. It was just a full track yep. uh, quarter-inch. And we... we um, I didn't sing with the band. The bassist was put down. Yep. And then I sang on top of that recording, mixing the, 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 the original... I'm trying to be as layman as I possibly can. Possibly can. So we're, we're playing back what the band had just recorded yep. uh, through a mixer and a microphone through through another channel in that same mixer, and that went straight on to another the, tape recorder. Another tape recorder, yeah. and one one of and your radio people there will know. I'm going to be a technophobe again, Whew. not a file. But um, uh, if one was a buyer seventy seven, and the other one was a very very early in Australia Ampex. All right, yeah. From the United States, we're yeah. very lucky to have one of those. Yeah, but so the engineer, of course, was uh, Bill Armstrong. Oh. Who, who, you know, so we you had... couldn't lose, really, could you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, that, I was just saying to Carol as that was playing. There's there's a sound in there that's like a wood block that that goes that struck and then echoes. It's like tuk, 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 tuk. yeah. Is that it, a wood block? It, it is a wood block. Yeah. And so and somebody had the echo going on that with, as well. Well, on one of these Bio 77 machines, you could play back something that, that was being recorded, but there was a latency just a little bit behind it. Yep. So uh, we were feeding that back into a, a sort of a loop uh, so that it would, um, not a loop as kids call it today, but no. just in feedback into a feedback loop. And, yes. <laughs> and so you've got that same echo. Um, and, and it was it was so good, you had to use it on the next single as well. Well, <laughs> exactly. You see, Benny King's original version of I Who Have Nothing yeah. actually had the woodblock on it, yeah. right? So that's where we got the idea in the first place, and then we thought, oh, well, we'll record I Who Have Nothing and put the woodblock on that, because it was sort of the dumb thing to have something that was idiosyncratic of your first record yeah. onto your next record. You might yeah. remember a stream of recordings by Del Shannon where he always went into, you know, Runaway had that high, rah, 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 that thing. Yeah. Uh, a few songs had the same deal. You that know? wasn't so high. 
and and you'd you'd sort of you'd, you'd into the production you'd try and keep some sort of theme going, as in fact did the Beatles with their harmony stuff. Yeah. Then listen, when we we interviewed the Searchers last year. And uh, talk to them about their signature twelve-string guitar Did sound. They find what they were looking for. <laughs> They're still looking for me. Well, of course, They're still looking because we we did actually say that to them, and they rolled their eyes. Yeah, <laughs> but I hadn't heard that. That's sort of like somebody came up to me today and talked about uh, Ron Casey, and I said, "Oh, I haven't heard that name today." <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, but <laughs> seeing as how you did, <gasps> let's play a song. <laughs> against the window. <laughs> oh, man, Maybe that's it. why I sounded like I need an adenoid operation. <laughs> <laughs> I have an SMS from Maxine who's just said, you ready? She said, ooh, Carol, goosebumps. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Maxine, you're beautiful. I Goosebumps, Normie. Goosebumps, Normie Rose, our special guest on the Friday Music Show here at 12.33 ABC Newcastle. We'd love to have his little nose pressed up against the window, but he's sadly sticking his nose up against the glass of his car because he hasn't been able to get here in time. Normie, we have our news headlines. And normally... Oh, let's, let's, let's try it because I yeah. think Normie would be up for It'd this. It'd be normally today. Norm- Normie-ly. Normie-ly. Normally, what? we get our guest to oh. sing the ABC News theme, Normie. Oh, uh, and and we've got the lovely Emma Tonkin from the newsroom here, and whichever musician is in the studio, they either play or they sing the ABC News theme, which is the okay, da 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 da. Yep. 
wherever it is. <laughs> don't <laughs> don't hurt yourself. You went too high. Went too high. Oh dear, Emma Tonkin is here with the latest news headlines. Good Thank afternoon. You. Good afternoon. Thousands of jobs in the Australian tax office will be cut in next week's federal budget. There are almost 23,000 people who work for the tax office and following Tuesday's budget, about 3,000 of them will lose their jobs. In an email to staff, the ATO acknowledged the news but asked them to wait until next week for details. A court's heard the man accused of murdering five members of the Lynn family switched off the electricity at their Sydney home before killing them. In his opening address, Crown Prosecutor Mark Tedeschi said Robert Z murdered his brother-in-law Norman Lynn, Mr Lynn's wife, her sister and two children with a hammer-like object. The state government's announced funding for six new beds for Tomary Hospital at Port Stephens. Health Minister Gillian Skinner visited the site today and announced the purchase of the electric beds, including one suitable for obese patients weighing up to 450 kilograms. And a development application's been lodged with Musselbrook Council for an aged care facility in the town. The plans by Calvary include a 65-bed residential care facility and 42 independent living units. That's the latest in ABC News. There'll be more at three. Certainly will, Emma Tonkin. Thank you very much. Having Normie Rose singing the news theme for you. Who's a lucky girl? Here at 12.33. Now, we've got a little phone call for you, Normie. Hang on. I've just got to um, find it. Pop it on hold. Nick. 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 Here we go. Professional radio. Nick. Uh, Nick? <laughs> oh, Nick? We'll come back to your phone call in just a minute. I, uh, I suspect. Theatre of the mind. Yeah. yeah. Now, back in, in the day, in the the uh, mid-60s, when you were having a hit after hit after hit, it was it was a, like a Beatle thing. You'd have a, a single out and they'd play both sides of it. Yes, it was uh, it was very good. It was very interesting. <laughs> and, um, uh, well, you know, they were the, the little vinyl seven inches... Uh, uh, you know, I mean, the kids can download 150 songs in in one go these days, you know. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, the interesting thing is that it was the first time that the purse strings to the family music was held by uh, not the head of the family, but the kids in the family. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, it, it was discovered pretty early by people like... Uh, Don Kirshner in in uh, the Br- the Brill Building in the US that this was going to be the big thing you know the, these seven inch vinyl the delivery of music was so uh, accessible uh, that the kids are going to be able to afford it so that's when he went out and signed people like Carol King and Jerry Goffin and and um, uh, Paul Anka and you know all those all those those kids songwriters that wrote so many wonderful great hits, Ali Greenwich and Jeff Barry. And, um, and so whilst it is, look, the kids, uh, appetite for music, uh, was and is still today insatiable. And we we have to acknowledge, Normie Rowe, that around your career, uh, the girls were rather insatiable as well. And we've got Mari. Is it Mari? Yes, it is, Carol. Mari, hello, on the line from Wall's End with a little story to tell because you were just 10, weren't you, Mari? I was 10, yes. Uh-oh. T- tell us your story. I went to Sydney Airport to say goodbye to my brother-in-law when he was going to Vietnam and there's all these screaming, crying teenage girls in mini skirts and boots crying your, for Normie. Your, your brother-in-law was popular then, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, he 
was my brother-in-law because he was married to my sister. <laughs> I hope he came back safely and his life oh, is... Very well, thank you, Normie. And you. Yeah, yeah. Mari th- from Walls End, thank you very much for your phone call, Mari, having made that trip as a 10-year-old uh, down to wave goodbye to a family member heading off to Vietnam. So, Normie Rowe, an incredibly heady time when, as you said, all of a sudden young people were buying their own music because it was a seven-inch and it was like kids in a lolly shop and uh, the politics and distress of young Australians going to war. Well, of course. Um, and and there, was, there was a huge, uh, uh, you know, sense of, of all the good things and all the bad things were happening all at the same time, you know. It was just, it was just, I've got to tell you a little story, though. Uh, I didn't have any family come to see me off in Sydney because my family was in Melbourne. Well, Murray was but there. I, <laughs> but I, beautiful Murray. <laughs> so... Um, a friend of mine who was in a band called the Levi Smith Clefts, in fact, he was a lead singer by the name of Barry McCaskill, was quite a crazy bloke, and I think that might have come from some of the uh, the chemicals that seemed to drift into his ingestion somewhere. Um, and uh, he he was he came. He said, "When are you leaving?" Well, no, he said, "When are you leaving?" <laughs> and I said, "I'm going tonight." And he said, "Ah." Oh, I'll come and see you off. And I said, oh, okay. So he arrives, he's got this long black flowing hair and a long black beard, and he arrived in a caftan with rope around him. And and uh, he said, I thought I'd, I'd come as Jesus today. <laughs> <laughs> so he ra- ra- rode in the bus out to the airport and waved us goodbye. So that was sort of an interesting way to go off to war. <laughs> and then when we got to Singapore, my girlfriend at the time, Marcy Jones, and uh, her her singing group, The Cookies, arrived at the airport uh, to say hello because they were working in Singapore at the time. So it was a weird way to go to war, I can assure yeah. you. Well, you came back was the most important thing. And well, uh, relatively unscathed, relatively, one would hope. Yeah. Now, just back to that idea of the, the B-side being played as an A-side. So we've got I Just Don't Understand, which was the B-side of I Who Have Nothing. And I've got to say, you had some pretty cool influences on these recordings. Was that down to the band, uh, in a way? Um, look, we got to a stage... We got to a stage where we were recording a lot of different stuff and, and uh, uh, we, were, we were asked to be recording... Frequently, and so um, uh, I, I think in, in the first in the first year or so of recording, we we ended up doing three albums and a number of s- separate singles, uh, and we really had to de- delve and de- dig deeply for uh, for material. So we were getting it from wherever, and that that song actually came from New Zealand uh, by the auspices of Tommy Adderley. All right. This one, I just don't understand.
How's that gone for you, mate? Uh, I haven't got it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Friday Music Show here at 12.33 ABC Newcastle. Carol Duncan with you, Mark Tinson as well, and our special guest, Normie Rowe, who uh, is at Lazotte's tonight. That is going to be a screamingly fun show, I suspect. Uh, Look, we've done a number of shows with the Playboys over the last 12 months or so. Uh, The the best one of the lot has been, was was at uh, the Fairy uh, Folk, Festival. Because if anything uh, says folk, it's the Playboys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we said, we don't know what we're doing at folk festival, folk music festival, but you're the folk and we hope you, we, we <laughs> hope you like our music. Boom, boom. Normie, my, my, my producer, Nick, who is half my age, has just um, tweeted a, a photograph of you from our 1233 ABC Newcastle Twitter account. And this would be a photograph from the 60s, given your hair and your jacket. Uh, and there's a whole group of uh, of bounce of security guys, presumably of some sort, in their their white t-shirts. But they are holding a horde of people off you, presumably young ladies. Well, yes. I don't yes. know what you it said to them. It wasn't until much later I got into the gay market. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you make them cranky or something? Because it looks like they're all trying to get over these boys to get at you. You must have upset yeah. them. Yeah, there was something causing it. I don't know really what it was, but, <laughs> but it, it, they were, look, they were fun days. Um, there's nothing in it. I, you know, a lot of people call their audiences punters, and and I find it highly offensive because I I grew up in a family that you know had sported a couple of gambling people, and they were proud to call themselves punters. But they were always gambling on the outcome, whereas I always thought that if you, if you ad- advertise you're going to be somewhere and somebody buys your ticket, that they should buy that in the full knowledge they were going to get the best possible show that you could give them. And there shouldn't be any gamble with it. No punting whatsoever. <laughs> well, unless you, unless you go and see Lou Reed, that might be a different story. <laughs> or Bob Dylan. Harsh. Oh, good grief. Harsh. Well, you, you may very well be. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen them. But, uh, you know, they might very well have uh, 
have given a poor show, but I, I, that's the way I see it anyway, and, and I treat my, my audiences with great respect. But one of the great things today is that we'll go out and we'll try and sell a few CDs to, you know, put the kids through um, private school, you know, that, that's <laughs> and, um, and the operation. The, <laughs> more in <laughs> the prostate exam. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and you're very Please. Busy uh, and the uh, uh, the thing is that at the end of the show, uh, I'll sit down and, and sign autographs and talk to people if they bring their vinyl records. That's something that I really I get impressed with, that people have kept those records for so long because some of them are 50 years old next year, you know? Mm. It's, and it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling that people have loved what you've done for so long and they've kept it. And a lot of it has been in wonderful condition. Um, and, you know, I, I just love to deface it by signing these. <laughs> <laughs> Normie Rowe, I love that you say that, though, that you, you own very proudly the stuff from very early in your career because there's, there's nothing that gets my wick more when interviewing musicians who don't want to acknowledge the things that they've done 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, it's, I think it's very immature, to be quite frank, uh, I, and and rather silly because I don't think they quite understand why they are in the business in the first place and what might have very well uh, got the attention of an audience that has now sustained them for the rest of their their working day. Oh, exactly. I just think, you know, come on, give me my money back. <laughs> I bought that album. Give me my money back. Now, somehow we've still made it. We've only got 16 minutes of show left and we're still not past 1965. Although in this case, 1965 starts in 1956 with this. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? She said to me, Quesera, Sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Quesera, Sera. 1956, of course, that is. Uh, the sweet butter wouldn't melt in her mouth, Dora's day. But I, I swear that voice would have taken your head clean off if you'd stood too close. Doris Day for mine, when I was a small kid, was my lover girl. Between her and Jane Russell, I just, you know, they were, they were the female icons when I was about seven or eight years old. <laughs> now let's, let's have a listen to what you did to that song. Hey, sit up, sit up. Oh, yes. As Tino just said, needs more cowbell. 
Oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, where's the blue oyster cult when you need them? Now, look, I reckon, that who, whose idea was that? That must have been in the hardest sell to give to the band. Come on, I've got this great idea. Let's do K-sara-sara. Oh, look, I, I had held on to that song. I I found the the original version of that version, if you like, uh, by a, an American band called The High Keys. They were... They were uh, I think a doo-wop band, yeah. uh, but they, they would have been from the southern United States and they were flavoured with a, a fair amount of, uh, of Latin music. And, uh, and they, they did this thing. I, I found it in the, one of the two Bob bins at, um, at, at number 12 Coles in Melbourne, <laughs> Bob's store. Of course. And uh, it was, um, I took it home and it blew me away. I just sort of was... Fantastic, and I, I I can't tell you how many times I took this same song to the Playboys, and they they kept rejecting it time after time after time. And then we we were making this uh, second album, and uh, we we run out of uh, songs to to record, and somebody said, "Well, you've got to do Shaking All Over." So we said, "Okay, well we'll do Shaking All Over," and then you've got to do. Uh, what, what else have you got? And I said, well, what about this, Kesarasara? And the Playboys, the eyes rolled. Oh, and I could see, <laughs> still see Billy, the, the guitarist, his eyes went, oh, no, we're going to do this. And it, it, it must be a pain in the backside for him to know that he wanted it to stay hidden so badly, and we still re- we, we recorded it uh, and had such a huge hit with it. Yeah, and but, and, and, and huge hits, you know, back in those days might have been three or four weeks at number one. But I remember I was in school then, I was in primary school, and uh, I used to go home and I'd walk past the, uh, the, the electrical shop in East Maitland Shopping Centre, and in the front of the shop was a, a red Stratocaster guitar that I longed oh, wow. to own. But they used to have the radio station charts there. So every week we'd go up when the, when the station chart came out to see what was number one. And, and uh, that song, Kesa Rasara and Shaken All Over, B-Side, stayed at number one for at least 16 weeks. Yes. That's yes. just incredible. I, I know that I know three years that in Melbourne rejected it uh, outright from the very start. No, yeah. it's not up to your usual scratch, <laughs> which basically the... Oh, right, okay. And after week two or three of it being released and the other stations playing it, they had to actually start playing it because it was on then, it was number one on their chart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it stayed on that chart for 17 weeks. All oh, right. So, uh, Which is an incredible achievement. I don't think any song has stayed at number one for that long on the Australian chart, um, even the Beatles. With their double-sided double Oh, hang on! I remember I being in primary school and Fernando making me want to harm myself. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> not for sixteen weeks. <laughs> I don't know. It was a. Oh, look! I hope you guys are coming tonight. Because I am. I, just want to, I want to continue this life. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> just, just to be a bit nerdy. Are good... causing self harm? <laughs> yeah, you, see, you you don't want me to come along and remind you what you then wrote about me in the uh, I think it was Australasian Post or People magazine Uh-oh. after our first interview. Normie wrote, "What did you? What did no, you say?" No, he was very complimentary. Oh, okay. I hope I was nice. You you. You were in a funny kind of way. In a funny kind of way. In a funny kind of way. <laughs> that that was my that was my um, that was my column on uh, what was it called Star Hotline? Something like on that. Australian Post. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you yeah. said something like, um, she might only be a young and only new or some such thing, but she's uh, she's like an old pro. <laughs> Oh, well, that sounds good. That's good. That could, that could be taken in a number of ways. Yeah, yeah I know. But see, because it was you, of course, I've um, my dad cut it out, and we have that clipping somewhere. So thanks for that, Normie. It's okay. It's not as it's nowhere near as bad as the autograph that I got from Russell Morris that same year. We can't even talk about that one oh, on the radio. Oh, <laughs> Meanwhile, and, I, and you wouldn't be able to say anything about that. No, there's some stories can never be told. But, uh, we, we were going to ask you too, well, to, Normie. Well, with the Russell Morris's uh, success, we were talking to John Paul Young, and and he said his wife said, "Well, why don't you just go out and do what what Russell's done <laughs> with just the number have, one album thing? Just have another number one album." Yeah. So wait, is that on your list or what? Uh, I think we all do our, do our thing as it comes. You know, like, I've got to say that I'm probably enjoying m- more immensely. Uh, today, uh, what I'm doing, then I've enjoyed anything in my life, pretty much. Come on, Mr. Abbott, um, answer the question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, I don't. We don't have any re- records in the pipeline at this stage. Oh, we've dear. been talking about going off to the states and perhaps recording with some of the uh, the older Memphis musicians, or uh, visiting one of the studios in Muscle Shoals or somewhere like that. And oh, that'd be fun. I reckon New Orleans yeah, yeah. is the place for you, man. I think, I think possibly. I w- you know, I would love to re- record with either Johnny Bristol or uh, or Alan Toussaint. Oh, <laughs> ah, there you go. The magic word. Well, go and do it. Well, I, I actually went to see Alan uh, twice at, at Blues Fest last year, and he was the most laid-back, superb artist I think I'd seen. Most people wouldn't know who he was. He's know? a gem, isn't he? Oh, a real gem. he wrote Southern, was it Southern Nights for um, uh, Glenn Campbell. Yep. And, uh, he's, oh, he's just written a, a lot of great, great hits. He produced Venus and Mars for uh, for Wings. Hmm. And, you know, he, he also wrote Working in the Coal Mine Going Down, Down, Down as well. I'll listen oh, to yeah, you too. He does that. Yeah, he did too. Yeah, he, he wrote that. He, um, I think he does that as part of a medley of his hits for other people. That's right. Yeah. He does. Now, just talking about producers, I just wanted to ask you, how did you find you you left England, uh, left Australia for England, as a lot of uh, acts did in the sixties, to to find the Holy Grail. But you worked with different producers over there, ha- having worked with with Pat Alton and and Nat Kipner as well. Yep. How did you find the production styles changed f- with the guys in England? Well, I think the fact that they were recording uh, it was slightly higher level, um, a little bit more advanced because of equipment, and and I, I think the the stakes were much higher over there as well. I mean, we're aiming for an Australian market with a, a su- very successful gold record at about fifty thousand copies of a vinyl, and they're talking about you know a million or a couple of million copies. So. The stakes were much higher and things meant a lot more. Uh, I was recording with people who not all that much later became uh, Led Zeppelin and uh, were, were playing on hits from people like Dusty Springfield and Tom Jones. Um, I, I was, uh, I, And I also had wonderful, um, uh, wonderful producers uh, who were in their own rights. 
Uh, John Carter was a member of the Ivy League and uh, had hits in his own right, and later on had another hit uh, down the road, I think called Beach Baby. Um, And, uh, of course, you know, recording in some of the studios, we had just... I recorded the first stereo album recorded in a studio in in Australia. Uh, And when I got over there, the equipment that we used that was brand new in 1966 had been in in operation for about five years at AdVision in... um, uh, in the West End. So, hang on. You just got to back that truck up a little bit for the youngster in the studio, Normie Rowe, which is me, <laughs> not can. Mark Tinson, yeah. because you mentioned Beach Baby, yeah? So this is by the first class? Yes. So they were English, not American? I don't think so. Oh. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, there might have been some Americans there. There was a lot of... There was a lot of uh, cross-fertilisation going on in the UK at that time because a lot of the Americans wanted to find out about the Mersey sound and the, you know, the, the English uh, invasion and all that sort of stuff. So they were heading off over to... I can't... But I loved that song. I, was, I think it was eight. I loved that song. But that, the classic... It's one of those classic California sound songs and it was written by some poms. Oh, I hate yeah. that. Hate that. Yeah, don't you hate that? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, look. But we'll... then again, then again, you know, you probably love those songs, I think, the Drifters did, you know, things like uh, um, Saturday Night at the Movies. Yep. Well, the follow-up for that particular song, I would imagine, was about eight or nine years later recorded in London called um, uh, Sitting in the Back of the uh, uh, kissing in the background, I think it's called. Um, and they recorded that in, in London. Yeah. You know? so, so there was a lot of fertilisation going on. Oh. I know. Well, we're going to play one. Of, we're going to play one of those tunes. Yeah. Mary, Mary. Okay. Here it comes. Got dead air. No, we haven't. <laughs> no, we haven't. You got to trust me on this one. Um, <laughs> that was a that was a great track, and it was almost like you'd you'd re- recorded in Motown. That one. Well, that Motown was big, um, and and Memphis was big. Stax Vault uh, was huge in uh, in the UK when I was there in '66. Uh, I got to meet Otis Redding and had my photo taken with Otis Redding and Tom Jones at the same same venue. Um, and we uh, uh, we went to see the the show, which had 
Booker T and the MGs, the Bar K's, the, the, the horn section, yeah. uh, they, they had Carla Thomas, uh, Sam and Dave. I've got Arthur the video. Connolly. I've got the video of that. Of that of concert. That same concert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a cracker. Yeah. Listen, and, and, it, and it's fantastic. Yeah. At 1966, it's the year mm. I was born. It was obviously oh, the best year. year of your lives, you two, year. wasn't it? Uh, uh, Listen, tell me, is, that video, was that at the Roundhouse in London? I'm not sure. I only just got it the other day. Oh, he's bringing it, it with him to the show I'll tonight. tonight. Oh, now, listen, Normie, I was, I was saying to Carol at the beginning of the show before we talked to you, Normie Rowe and the Playboys was the first concert I went to with my elder brother in Maitland Town Hall. Okay. Yeah, and and uh, it ain't necessarily so. Was the first rock and roll vinyl album that came into our house. Was that now that that concert? Um, that's quite a compliment, by the way, though. Too, thank you. Um, right. uh, for you to remember that far back. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that did, did we have? Was it was it a full on pop music concert or was it? Uh, oh, yes. Was, Yes, it was. Because it was sit we, down. Started, we started out touring because nobody yeah. knew how one of these pop concerts on uh, on tour might go. <laughs> you got so, 20 Normie, seconds, man. Normie, <laughs> so hang on. I, hang on. You two can play tonight, <laughs> okay? Tino, you, um, take your strat with you and I'm sure yeah. that you'll be able to go and play on stage with Normie Rowe as well. I could play Shaken All Over. Normie, shush. Normie Rowe and the Playboys tonight <laughs> at Lesots. <laughs> Normie Rowe, thank you so much. We'll pick up this conversation another day, okay? See you there. Plenty to talk about. Plenty to talk about. <laughs> <laughs>